Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Student Centered World podcast. Today I had the opportunity to talk with Drew Purcell, who is a history teacher by trade, but now is moving more into the tech sector as a Google certified trainer. We had a great conversation about the future of technology in the classroom. Drew goes out and he helps teachers whether they can barely draft an email or are always looking for the next best thing in improving their tech skills. And one of the things that we really focused on is the idea that every single teacher has the ability to not only go through the motions with technology, but really embrace it if it is explained to them in a way that makes sense. So we were in full agreement that whether or not you like to believe it, tech definitely isn't going anywhere in education and everybody can totally master it. So if you use tech in the classroom or you want to use tech in the classroom, which let's be honest is all of us, you are really going to enjoy today's podcast episode. Welcome Welcome to the Student-Centered World Podcast, where we talk about all things hands-on teaching and keeping your energy and sanity in the classroom. This teacher-turned-consultant is making it her mission to help as many teachers as possible become the best version of themselves and keep their passion for teaching on fire. It's her hope that we never forget why we desire to have a passion for educational progress. This This is Student-Centered World, and this is Jen Bry Soccer. Okay, so do you want to just take a minute and let everybody know who it is that they are listening to? Yeah, this is uh, Drew Purcell. I'm a history teacher and a coach of a few sports. Uh, wrestling and baseball, and I also a um, you know I'm a certified Google trainer, and I've uh, been teaching workshops in and around my district for the last about four years uh, in various technology tools in the classroom, which apparently is uh, now now more important than ever. So, yes, yeah. COVID definitely taught people that technology isn't something that you can just pretend does not exist. That is for sure. Have you found that there's been an uptick of people asking questions or have people just been muddling through? Like, what have you seen when it comes to tech in the classroom? Well, for one, uh, when our district shut down back in March, like most of the the world, um, I was on one of the people in a little mini like future ready teachers group, like task force that we were teaching workshops the last two years. And uh, we were basically like a help desk for the district to help teachers go like, I've been teaching math using a whiteboard for the last like 20 years or a chalkboard. How do I do this online? And people asking questions as simple as how do I upload things to Google Classroom? How do I use Google Classroom? So the intro stuff became very, uh, you know, needed for a lot of uh, teachers in our district, especially just, you know, oh, how do I share a Google Drive file and things like that? Because our, our school's, our school's at, um, Google school. So I think just the questions on the basic stuff went from, I'm never going to use that to, oh my God, I need this. Right. You know? And I definitely saw that transition as well. Um, back in March, when we started our mastermind group on Facebook, the conversations seemed to change weekly. It first started with, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And then it turned into, I guess I get to have to figure this out. And then, well, how are you doing it? And then it just kind of like morphed as it went. So when you've been working with some of these teachers that um, may have been resistant to the technology or never really used it before, did you find there were certain programs that they were able to pick up on a little bit quicker or was it kind of the same learning curve for whatever you were teaching them? Um, I think uh, if I can use an example for this, is I think this would be a great one. Um, so I was teaching a bunch of um, adult education teachers that were teaching nursing. Uh, through a vocational program for adults and um, 
they were all retired healthcare workers who were all women in their fifties and sixties who were, I don't know how, I know how Gmail works, but I don't know how to like make a label or organize stuff. And I found the learning curve at first was very like, I never used it before, never had to, but they were forced to. And I always preached as this is not a going to change your life and make it better. It's a better delivery system. It's like, I always like kind of preach it that way. Like, you know, if you can just look at it like that way and not like a huge insurmountable mountain of technology to climb, it's a lot easier to um, digest and figure out like, Oh, look, you can organize your inbox folders just like outlook, like you've been doing for or AOL mail, whatever you've been using right. your hotmail account, you know, <laughs> or just in general, like Google drive is like a, my documents folder on your computer. You know how to do that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And just, you make those little connections, I think, which is very important when you're teaching people that don't understand, like, you know, like if you, if you gave them a couple acronyms of like, a, what's a URL or HTTPS, it's like, what does that even mean? You know, so you kind of have to like speak in their language and let them know, hey, this, this isn't going to like, you know, technology can be revolutionary and life-saving, but like it doesn't have to be. It can just make your life a little easier if you look at it as a delivery system. That is like my mantra whenever I'm teaching these kinds of things, especially to newbies. If you have a bunch of people in a room that are like, oh yeah, I know how to use this. Just show me a cool way I can make my Google Slides better interactive drag and drop worksheet on Google slides. Sure. I can do that. But for new people, you really have to like bring it down to their level and just say, Hey, like, you know, I'm not going to yell at you for not knowing how to use a keyboard that well. Just, this is what you can do to make things a little easier on yourself. I think that's such a great way of looking at that because there's so many people that when they were thrust, you know, because of COVID into using tech, it's just seemed so overwhelming. But when you put it like that and saying it's the same type of things that you're doing elsewhere, you're just doing it digital or on this new platform, it makes it a lot more manageable and easier to understand because they have a frame of reference that they might not have had when they just heard of Nearpod or, you know, some other type yeah. of system. Yeah. Well, like they have like, oh, we, have this, we use this online learning thing and like they, we have different links for each week, like a little module for like, you know, different nursing courses, right? I keep using this one. This is the most recent training I did a month ago. So this is what I'm kind of using as an example here. But I was like, you use Google Classroom and make assignments and have the link right there. She's like, oh, this is just like making a post. I was like, yeah, look at like a Facebook post. Just look at it that way, right? Because, you know, and all our parents and grandparents are on Facebook now. That's why all the kids left because, you know, it's so not cool. True. Um, but, you know. <laughs> We'll move on to Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, but like they use it like that. You just kind of find their language and how it works and trying to find a way to make it happen. And, um, you know, Oh, look, you have a great, uh, you know, PDF or a, a printout of like, you know, parts of like, you know, a bone structure. Great. You can upload that, the PDF right here. It's like just a different way of giving out the paper. Would you say in teaching, you know, these teachers, these new technology tools, are they kind of using them as a means to an end or are they really seeing the benefit of using them long term once they know how they work? I think after the school year, I could answer that question a little better because, right. uh, you know, schools are being remote or hybrid right now. No one's I don't think anyone I, I know of I've spoken to, at least around here, uh, is dealing with, you know, you know, full back to back to school stuff. But um I think after this year, I'll have a better way to answer that. But for now, I think some teachers are seeing the value of Google Drive and Google Classroom um, just for ways of communicating in Google Meet, you know, or Zoom, whatever district tool they're using. But I think that will remain. I don't know if we're going to see um, people that are resistant to technology start using these awesome extensions on Google Docs and, you know, uh, slides to make hyper docs or multimedia, like, you know, uh, 
you know, interactive like web quest, you know, I don't think they're going to do that. But I think some people that were kind of curious about it now are given the opportunity as long as they have good support from their district leadership to like, you know, I think most teachers are given a little bit more of leeway now because they're doing things that, you know, on the fly without much guidance in many districts, you know, oh, just, you know, figure it out, teach hybrid or just teach remote, figure it out. So there's more of a little bit of a leeway to take a chance and, you know, possibly fail you know, because they're, they're under the leadership hopefully is understanding of that. I know I've experienced that in my district as well. And I know that's been something that I've been preaching to teachers all along that now is the time to try stuff. You've, you've been thinking about it, but you couldn't figure out time to work it in before. Everybody's trying to figure things out this year. So why not give it a chance? Would you say that this is going to propel districts to have more of an expectation with technology, or is it just something that people are doing to try to make it through this year? I think it really comes down to the individual and also I think, I think uh, leadership is the most important part of it. It's like this could, if we can look at one silver lining of COVID's effect on education, that it could possibly, we could rethink and restructure the way education works. Like, you know, I'm a teacher. You used to be a teacher. Um, I, I, I love my job and there's a lot of great things about it, but there's a lot of times teachers feel like they're working, the system's working against them and what they know is best. Now, obviously teachers are individuals and you have good and bad teachers, but I think overall uh, teachers at the end of the day do want to do some good in the world and like help inspire and make lifelong learners. I mean, no matter if you teach physics, auto, woodshop, you know, math, you're going to, you know, math, math and physics are pretty much the same thing, right? I don't, I don't know. I'm a history teacher or whatever. But, you know, you, you, you want to, like, you, you want to be able to do, like, you know, create lifelong winners. That's the goal. So, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, there will be a way we can possibly have long-term positive effects on education. Like, we don't need standardized testing, apparently, during a COVID year. We can get rid of that, right? You know, wait, there's money involved in that. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I think I'm hoping people do embrace it and, like, say, okay, here's a cool way we can make, you know, interactive, engaging lessons using technology for kids. I don't think every teacher is going to be able to do that if they're not tech savvy, but I'm hoping there's more of a chance to use digital tools in the classroom because of that and also rethink the way education is given and make it more student-centered. Yeah, and it's absolutely helping benefit our students in general because, you know, there's so much information out there about how Generation Z is just really different and they learn differently and they've always been in a tech-heavy world. They might not understand the technology right away and that's something that's a big learning curve that I'm finding with teachers is they just assume that since they're a tech-heavy generation, you're going to throw a platform in front of them and they're going to get it right away. Yeah, they which, only know cell phones. It's right. Like, how to use a keyboard. What? Right, right. Or um, I always found that kids didn't know how to Google things because they yeah. would either just ask Siri or they would take whatever the question was and legitimately type the entire question into the Google box and be like, oh, it's not on here. Really, the answer is not on Google. And you have to kind of take a step back and be like, all right, let's talk about how you Google something. And with all of these tech tools, we assume, well, if the kids can figure out TikTok right away, they should be able to figure out this other stuff. But exactly. it's a matter of finding how it's going to engage them and intrigue them and giving them time to have that learning curve as well as the teacher having the learning curve and then everybody meeting in the middle to be able to use something effectively. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, you bring up a great point about that as well. Like thinking like, you know, the kids may not, they're the tech generation, but they don't have the skills you would think, you know, I think uh, this would be a great opportunity to really, if you don't have it in your district yet or in your state yet, digital skills and digital citizenship are integral. 
uh, right now. What, and it's not just, Hey, be careful what you post on social media. It's also like, how do you write an email? Like I'm the emails I get for kids. It's like a text message. Sometimes it's all the subject is all written out. Like blah, 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 blah. I make up this assignment and the body of the email is empty. And I'm like, yo, I'm not your friend. You're texting. Like, I'm not saying you have to like, you know, bow down and like, you know, kiss the ground, but it's like, it should be like semi-professional. Just teach them to like be able to write an email. Cause that's not because for my ego, it's because I want them to understand when they go to a company and work, or wherever they work, it could be anything, they have to be able to write like an email back and forth, especially now, um, attending a Google Meet or a Zoom meeting and like the, the modicum of like, you know, uh, your respect you have for like the, the meeting and not have like, you know, things you say. And I think that stuff's important. And it will uh, hopefully be something they can start instilling in more in schools. I know our district is trying. I literally just had this conversation with my nine-year-old this morning. He had to write an email to his teacher and I'm like, okay, you need to write dear Mrs. You know, and I was breaking it down because I'm like, you're not going to text her through email. I used to get that too, where, you know, it would be like almost emoji language. (laughs) And then not, you know, thank you. Or, you know, they need to, that's a soft skill that they need to learn. They're going into a technology-based world, whether we like it or not. And these skills that we maybe assume that they are learning at home, you know, they're not necessarily emailing their parents. So how would their parents know that they're not savvy in how to draft an email? You know, it's just, it's a bigger picture thing that we need to look at as educators and knowing that none of this is going anywhere. If anything, it's going to get broader as time moves forward. And we need to make sure that we're adapting our classrooms to make sure we are giving them all of the benefits in the world that we can. Yeah. How many, how many people in your family or friend circles that are just like, yeah, well, I used to work, never work from home, but now I work from home all the time or multiple days a week, like companies or even before COVID, I found that I, in my experience from friends that work in like the private sector were saying, yeah, it was great. I've been working there for two years now. Now I can work from home one day a week. And that made them happy. And the company is like, aha, this is my theory, by the way. I have no data to back this up. Well, you can but, talk um, about Google. I mean, Google kind yeah. of does this. Well, Google does it. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, hey, they are happier. I don't have to give them a big raise this year. I can give them one day at home to work. That way they can fulfill their duties at home. They get their laundry done that one day a week. They're less stressed. They're happy to work here and it works itself out. They are working from home using Zoom and emails. This is what kids need to learn how to do. They're doing school like that right now. Even if COVID eventually hopefully goes away, I think businesses will have, you know, they've they've proven they can do more things remote. Right. And I mean, that takes away overhead. If they can make it where most people work remote, they don't need as big of an office. They don't need to you know, rent out the vending machine. Like there's just pieces of it that financially could certainly work out better. And then you have places that um, create, uh, what am I looking for? Like a conference room that you can rent out spots in the conference room. So if you do need to have a meeting, everyone can come together, but you don't have to have your own building and it saves. And I think that that's something that a lot of companies might not have been willing to consider before. Um, especially schools, like nobody would have thought about this before, but now it can, you know, if we need it where teachers have a professional development day a week, if you're finding that you're trying to implement some type of a new program and, you know, you need time to reflect on that. All right. Well, you know what, for this amount of time, everybody's going to be remote on Wednesdays. That way the kids can be at home doing digital work, but the teachers can still be in and everybody still has an instructional day. So it doesn't take away. There's just a lot of opportunities that are opening up now that people have been forced to seeing that there isn't just one way to do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just even think about, you know, growing up, like how many online classes and colleges were available, you know, 
when you were in college or in high school and look at it now, like there's online only programs. I did one of those, right? It's like, and they're not just, it's, it's not like, it's not looked down upon as much anymore. People are realizing that you can have, you know, engaging instruction and a lot of like reflective um, learning using the online platforms. What, and if you're doing a Zoom or not, it could be just, you know, the distribution of materials and like online discussions and things like that. And I think that it's, it's, it's grown without COVID, but COVID, I mean, we keep going back to it, but like, let's be honest, it's going to change everything. It has changed everything, but I think long-term effects, you know, they're not all necessarily bad as far as education and technology goes. And I think um, a large part of that is making sure that a teacher or a professor or a boss is trained properly to know how to make that effective, how to make sure that they are making things engaging. You know, I spent summer 2020 trying to reach out to every teacher I possibly could to say, hey, I'm going to do a free training on how to do blended learning because my guess is, you know, a lot of your districts are saying, hey, we're going to be doing blended learning, but um, we'll figure it out. It's fine. And there were so many teachers that came to me saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I tried to break it down to them. And it was frustrating to me, especially when the video series has ended or school year started, still hearing all of the teachers coming forward saying they didn't know how to do this well, and they didn't know how to do it effective, and the kids aren't engaged. And it's it's so frustrating because it's like, if this is what your company or your school or your district is going to do, you need to make sure that the people who are doing it know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think um, in my, one of the classes I did take in my program was educational lead, uh, technology leadership course. And uh, from the readings and discussions, it, it seemed to me like in my perspective is that I don't think you need to be a tech guru to be a, a leader, a, a tech leadership position. It's not like, you, I mean, I think being a problem solver is one of the best skills to have, um, you know, because I don't, I can use Microsoft Excel to a certain extent, but guess what? It's, I'm Googling how to use formulas. I know, I know how to Google. That's how I figure a lot of things out. I don't right. memorize how to do everything. And I, I think you probably say the same about yourself. Like, oh yeah, how did I do that again? Like, I don't, I don't memorize everything, you know? It's like, you got to check things online. And I think just being um, inspirational and, uh, being able to delegate and not micromanage creative people. Teachers are creative people by nature. And I think uh, education and techno education and creativity can be stifled if you micromanage in that way. If you have a leader that's like, hey, listen, I don't know the best way to do it, but I know you guys all do. And I just want to make sure you have a creative space to work and collaborate if that's your thing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's mm -hmm. like kind of like the way it should go and say it's okay to make mistakes because like if you're tr trying to do what's in the best interest for the students and educational process um i think that that like brought said it earlier but having that little bit of leeway to take a leap of faith and like you know possibly fall flat on your face but knowing that you're not going to that's be okay tired. yeah like you know if you have a bad observation because of it it's like hey like it wasn't because you weren't trying it's because it didn't work out what are you going to learn teaching is a reflective practice you know it's not a you know i remember the old undergrad class is it an art form is it a craft is it a profession? Like, what, what would you tech, what would you uh, categorize it as? You right. know, and there's so many different aspects to it. It's like one of the true um, jobs where it won't be the same thing every day, which that's one of the things that attracted me to it in the first place. Right. And I mean, I've been saying this all along that the schools that are doing the best right now that are, you know, trying to muddle through and find the tech and figure out what's going to work and worrying about everybody's mental health. It's all coming from administrators that are one willing to admit that this is all new. We're not really hundred percent sure how this is going to work out, but we're going to give it a try. 
They're getting feedback from their teachers, what's working, what's not working, what can we expand upon, what can we change, what should we stop? And it's having that dialogue with all the stakeholders. And then of course the teachers talking to the students to find out why aren't they engaged, what is making them excited, why, why are they logging on if they're digital? It's like a big conversation that has to happen. It's all facilitated from an administrator team that wants their school to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I, some of the best experiences I've had, like even when I was, um, you know, teaching, uh, doing peer-led training at my school, it's one of the few opportunities I got when I first got into teaching workshops and, you know, teaching other teachers, um, was the supervisor that was in charge of our little unit, like said, these are the expectations, this is what we're doing. This is what we got the title grant money for. Here's what we need to have done. What do you guys think? And they, she was very hands-off and let us kind of develop what we thought was best based on like, Hey, you guys are the people that got hired for this position. This is your peer led group. And it was just that management style appealed to me. I was like, if I were in that situation, that's the way I would handle it too. Obviously I wouldn't do everything the same. Cause you know, we all think we can do a little better, but that to me was like, okay, we have teachers collaborating to create workshops for other teachers to inspire, to be better educators. Like that's the kind of like, that's where I think my leadership uh, philosophy kind of comes from. And also just the way I manage my classroom too. I don't want to be hovering over every kid listen to music, be creative, like, you know, hey, give you project options. I'm, I'm Especially this year with the whole virtual stuff. It's like, I don't need you all to write me an essay for this DBQ in history. I've been installing, like, initiating other things like, all right, I'll give you a scenario. Here's a Flipgrid video. You're going to be a lawyer, defend John Brown, you know, or prosecute John Brown or write me a newspaper article, like just examples of like giving them choice and that and student choice is one of the most, I think, effective ways of uh, integrating student-centered learning in your classroom. Absolutely. I mean, if you're preaching, giving your students choice and that it's okay to fail, you know, obviously not like a massive end of unit test or something like that. But if you try something out and it doesn't work, let's figure out why it didn't work and try again. And if you're doing all of that and preaching it to your students, there's no re like if that's the atmosphere, then the teachers should be allowed the same thing. They should be allowed to be trying stuff and, you know, not having someone breathing down their neck with all of these regulations and what do you need to be, you know, give a framework and then expect that they're going to figure out. And if they don't figure it out, then you have those individual conversations with each teacher of, hey, we see that this is the area that seems to be a little bit weak right now. Why don't we find a professional development that you can go to to help you out? Or there's this teacher down the hall that really does this well. Why don't we set up some time so the two of you can meet and have a conversation? Those are the districts that are doing awesome right now. Yeah, meaningful professional development. If you give them an opportunities to go to like a workshop they like rather than like, oh, I just got to fill my hours. Right. Like, you know, even if it sounds a little like hokey, like, you know, how many like social emotional learning workshops were available like eight years ago? Right. Right. And it's like, why would you pay money to go to that? And now there's plenty of them just say sensitive to like people in different, like marginalized communities, right? Just those are kind of workshops that some people are like, you know what? I need more exposure to that. Or it could be simple like stuff like you and me want to want to hock our wares, like, hey, we got cool technology stuff we can show you, right? I can show you how to integrate Google tools at a high level in your classroom more than you ever thought. Or I can show you a way that, you know, you can use an online tool like Canva to make, you know, instead of having to wait, wait for the budget to come in and you buy posters or in a COVID world where you can't give out posters, <laughs> you can make them online, you know? Like, so like, there are a lot of different ways you can really just like get people involved in all this stuff. Right. And I think professional development itself needs to be hands-on. There's nothing I hate worse. And I, when I started Student Centered World, my entire premise was this. I hated when I would go to a workshop 
and they would talk at me the entire time. They would lecture to me about how you're not supposed to lecture. And then the day would be over and you'd leave. And you wouldn't have any time to have anything meaningful done. You wouldn't have time to try anything out. And anything that you got would end up being thrown on a shelf somewhere because you then have to get back to the grind. Yeah. So when I developed my course, I made it so as you go through each module in the course, you are planning out the lesson or the unit that you're talking about. So when you're done the course, you're ready to implement it immediately because that's the way it should be. You should be learning about what you're doing by doing it. Absolutely. I think I, I feel the same way you do. I've, I've, I think you and I've had conversations about this very same thing, you know, and it's like, you just taught, you know, if you're using the Danielson ABC and D quadrant, right? C and D is like, you know, the higher level thinking and C is like the analytical, the evaluative and like D is like the creating and like taking the information and like making something like, you know, amazing. I'm going to make a whole new government based on the book we read that talked about different systems of government, right? Like doing something like that. And the whole presentation of the professional development will be about how we should make C and D quadrant lessons that have, you know, uh, higher order thinking, but it's taught in a lecture style, which is the A and B quadrant. I'm saying, I'm, I'm sure many teachers that would listen to this would probably be familiar with those things, but basically, or Bloom's taxonomy. I, I want you to use the highest part of Bloom's taxonomy, but I'm going to explain it to you in the way, the lowest level, you know, right. information recall. And that's the most frustrating. I think some of my most effective college courses were like, Hey, for this project, I actually got to create a training for a project that I was able to use. Yeah. You know, like those kinds of things. And that sounds like you're doing that with Student Center World, which is great. And it's like you walk away with like, oh, I could use this. This is meaningful to me. And I remember like, going to a professional development once that it was all about the ABCD quadrants and all they were doing was explaining it. And we as a group explained to the presenter that we knew what they were. Could we maybe have some time to work on them? And she refused to deviate from yes. what she was giving us and just kept lecturing the entire time. So what it ended up being was either a waste of a day for everybody or a time that people got caught up with their grading because it yes. wasn't useful. 123 uh, PowerPoint slides of a bunch of malarkey, right. uh, you know, to put it nicely. Uh, they, they just, that, that, that was very frustrating for things like that to happen. And um, uh, that's one of the things I always preach in my work, my workshops. Like I'm always like, unless you guys are like the one bait, the workshop with the, the uh, adult ed healthcare workers, I spent a good amount of the two night workshop of the first hour and a half spending time showing and displaying, but I'm not doing, I have a very few slides. I'm more of like a follow along with me on the projector. Let's play around. I'll help you individually, which is almost like just the same way you teach a class. I'm going to model for you how to do this algebra problem. I want you guys to try it on your own. Then we'll play around with it. Now try these equations. I want to walk around and help you. It's the same style. Just you're saying play. If you can right. start creating lessons while you're learning Google Classroom, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Like play around. And like, I think the word play gets, you know, thrown around is like, oh, it's not effective. But no, you need to learn how to use this stuff. If you have a great idea, if I talked about Canva earlier. You have a great idea. Play around with Canva so you know how it works. That way you can say, oh, I have a great, uh, I have a great, like, you know, um, wanted poster I used for this one project in English when we read this novel right like I can have him do it on here and this is how to do it the way it can help the kids you walk away now you have a new lesson already you just got to maybe work out the kinks right but and there's no need to reinvent the wheel either you can go on YouTube and find exactly what it is that you're trying to figure out how to do you can join different groups on Facebook with other teachers expand your PLN and be like hey this is my idea does anyone have any feedback 
I know in our mastermind group that happens all the time. People are like, hey, I have this project that I want to do, but I'm not quite sure. Does anybody have any ideas? People are like, I did this. I've used this. Boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, you have exactly what you were looking for. My, my best projects and sometimes lessons are Frankensteins of multiple ones I found online and my own flavor or twist or my own idea that I use other things and piece it all together. And that to me, like I think about the ones that I'm always like, oh, I hope my observation walks in on this day. You know, this is going to be, you know, an awesome lesson. I'm like, because that's always been like that just uh, collaboration of other teachers, whether or not they knew it or not. They just happened to post an online rubric on a website that had this project. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good thing I want to do. Right. So you, I think a lot, if so many new teachers are out there, uh, don't be ashamed to not write the whole lesson plan yourself. I think that's, it was ingrained in my head as an undergrad and, um, it was like, oh, I can make this a lot easier on myself and also find some really good resources. Like, you know, there's, I always have used this example. How many times do you ever go out to like, um, you know, a bar, a restaurant, and there's a cover band that's making money playing other people's songs. Right. They play, they do their own version of it. It's like, wow, that was a great cover. I never heard a Hotel California done that way. Well, you can do the same thing with teaching if you find like, you know, online resources from other teachers. Two things got beaten in my head my very first year of teaching. Number one was don't ever reinvent the wheel. No matter what idea you have, somebody out there has probably created some version of it that'll at least give you a template to put together that you can then just make into your own brainchild. And number two was it's your job, it's not your life. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's what we all love, it's our passion, but at the end of the day, if you left, they'd replace you. So it's, <laughs> it's just, it's important to remember that, you know, as much time and effort but the, the stress level does not need to be where it is. It's very much a mindset shift in the classroom of how can we take what we already have, kind of move it around, jazz it up a little bit, and make it so you're not stressed out and it's not taking over all the time you have in your life. Yeah, like it's I, – I, uh, well, I've had new teachers. I've mentored them. I'm like just you, – you can, you know, it, be okay with like, you know, unsyncing like, you know, your Gmail account from school when you get home. Like take it and like you, you can use a time to reflect and think about it, but don't like, don't stress yourself out and kill yourself over, you know, I need to be online all the time. I think it's a lot of things, a little tip for today too. Like and then the, the, the virtual classrooms, people feel like they have to be on call. Yeah. I have a whole thing about work-life balance, especially during yeah, e-teaching. Like you need it. Yeah. You need to have like little things for yourself. Like I look forward to having a cup of tea and watching Netflix tonight. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to look at, you know, you know, my, my Google Classroom page. So when you're doing training, is that something that you only do for your district or is that something that you do virtual for other districts? How does that normally work for you? So um, obviously I prefer to be in person because I'm such a lively, uh, wonderful fellow to be around. But um, <laughs> virtually uh, does, I mean, obviously you can work through webinars. That's fine. Um, I've taught a majority of the workshops in my district only because there's been opportunities there and our district was really pushing technology initiatives and I jumped on it for as soon as it started and I kind of grew with that. Um, but no, I've taught outside the district as well. Um, like I said, the adult education, um, you know, people that was, that was a great opportunity to like, you know, really flex my Google trainer skills because I was working outside of a typical K through 12 environment. It was like adult education. I was like, all right, how can I tie in nursing and like, you know, being a registered CNA to, uh, you know, what I'd know, but once you, I was like, oh yeah, delivery system, it works. So, um, yeah, I mean, online and in person is the way I normally, it doesn't really matter to me. I, I can do either, especially with all the chops I have from teaching virtual high school history from the last almost year. It's from the COVID lockdown, like, you know, I've got, um, I've got my uh, virtual teaching chops up for sure. 
although I prefer in person, whereas I'm sure most teachers. We like to hear ourselves talk. <laughs> People to be there and not look at like black screens. So say there is a school district that's listening to this right now and they're like, wow, this guy, he's obviously a Google trainer. He's got all these different tech certifications. He sounds like a guy we need to talk to. What would be the best way for them to contact you? Well, I think email, you know, not snail mail, no Western Union, uh, drewpurcell12 at gmail.com. But uh, and LinkedIn as well, if they want to collaborate on there, I just started using that. I'm trying to navigate that part of social media, but really my email and like, you know, I'll set something up. Let's, let's, let's do it. One of my favorite things to do is have evidence of projects that students have done for me using a technology tool or using like, hey, this is a cool student centered lesson that they made a digital product, whether it was a video or a poster. I've had to make podcasts, you know, things like that. So I'm like, hey, look, this is some things I've done. Here's, I can teach your district how to do these things or, um, you know, things like that. But obviously a phone call works too. You can talk on the phone like old school. You got my rotary phone out. We'll do it. <laughs> Tied to the wall. So if you had any closing thoughts for a teacher that maybe is struggling to get the tech under their belt or really wants to learn more, or they only know the basic stuff, they want to go advanced, you know, what advice would you give them? Well, if you're a self-driven learner, obviously, uh, we talked about this before, uh, using the internet, YouTube, how-to videos would definitely be a good place to start if you feel like you can help yourself. If you need more assistance than that, there are people like you and me available. You got Student Center World and also through... Uh, Myself, I mean, as a certified Google trainer, that's not all I do. It's, um, you know, I'm going to teach you, like, once again, it's delivery system, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, um, you know, collaborating to make, like, you know, the experience of teaching using technology that much easier for you, whether you're a Microsoft school or a Google school, or you're like, I don't know what kind of school we are, but I need to figure out how this works. We I use typewriters. <laughs> I can help you do that as well. I can make very uh, collaborative, interactive lessons using a type, typewriter. Uh, I haven't done it before, but I guarantee I can figure it out by the time, uh, you know, we talk. So, um, yeah, just as long as, I mean, if you're looking for someone that can, you know, understand the differentiating levels of where you are at technology, um, I can do that for you. I pride myself on teaching multiple different kind of diverse learners, whether it's special ed and special needs or uh, kids from different backgrounds. As a history teacher, I think I've done that effectively and I can do the same thing as a, a technology uh, guru teaching at a district or individual one-on-one -on -one, uh, coaching. And uh, yeah. On that note, I want to thank you for chatting today. And I'm hoping that we were able to give some of our listeners some really great ideas and that they are not shy that if they have questions to reach out. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. This was, uh, this was fun.